Can somebody shout, all hail King Jesus. Well, happy Easter, happy Resurrection Sunday. Feliz Dia de la Resurrección. Anybody happy that Jesus is alive? Well, we're going to take it back this morning. Is it all right? Can we take it back? Come on, somebody say, take it back. Tell your neighbor, we're going to take it back. Not just take it back to the day of the resurrection. We're going to take it way back this morning. Can somebody say Zechariah? No, 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 not Zechariah. He was in the New Testament. Say Zechariah. Z-E, Zechariah. The book of Zechariah, the prophet, is where we're going to go to for most of our Bible reading today. Zechariah was written in the year 587 B.C. Everybody remember what B.C. means? Before Christ, all right? Let me give you just a real quick synopsis before we go to the book of Zechariah this morning. As we know, since the fall of man, Adam and Eve chose to disobey God, like we heard this morning in that awesome spoken word. Did anybody enjoy that spoken word this morning? Thank you, man. I don't even need to preach. That was a whole message in itself. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Evangelist Nate, there this morning. But (laughs) human beings, man and woman, we had been separated from God because of sin, because of intentional disobedience. And God had chosen the people of Israel through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right, to be uh, his chosen people to whom and through whom to reveal himself to the whole world, right? Now, did Israel faithfully fulfill their calling? No, right? As we read through the, uh, through the whole Old Testament, through history, we see a people that again and again, re- repetitively throughout history, went away from God instead of going after God. Except for a few occasions and some amazing things, we look at... Israel and really truly representing all humanity as repetitively, insistently turning our backs on God again and again. But we see a wonderful, good, merciful, compassionate God again and again, revealing himself to his people and calling his people again and again, turn back to me, come back to me, come back to me, right? And one of the first amazing things we see is God delivering his people out of slavery from Egypt, right? And he brings them out of Egypt with an outstretched hand, with a mighty arm, right? With signs, wonders, miracles, plagues, and all that. And God delivers his people out of slavery. But that doesn't solve the problem, does it? They rejoice, but very soon we find them in the wilderness complaining and once again turning their backs on God. And God is faithful and he's with them through the wilderness and he brings them out of the wilderness into the promised land. And through his mighty hand, through his great power, he gives them the promised land and they conquer the enemies, right? And they possess the land. But did that do the trick? No, again and again, they turn their backs on God again and again. And God, through centuries, reveals himself through miracles, through the prophets. But again and again and again, his people turn their backs on him. And instead of going towards him, they go away from him, right? And basically the message of every prophet is this, come back. Come on, everybody say, come back. But they don't. On a few occasions, there are revivals. There's some wonderful things that happen in the Old Testament, right? 
Some times of amazing revival where God's people do come back. But we find again and again and again, even after they come back once again, they turn their back again on Almighty God and they go away instead of going towards him. And he promises them this. He said, I've delivered you out of slavery. I've been faithful to you in the wilderness. I've given you the promised land. I've revealed myself throughout the centuries to the prophets. If you insist on turning your back on me and going away from you, away from me, once again, I'm going to allow you to be invaded, overtaken, and carried off by your enemies. And we know that even though God insisted again and again, stop turning away from me and turn towards me, they insisted on turning away from him. And then they were invaded by Assyria, taken away by King Nebuchadnezzar into Babylon, which later became the kingdom of Persia, right? And then we read the history of what is known as the exile. Everybody say the exile. Anybody know the, uh, the order of the kings? Who, who, who invaded first? Assyria. Who took them off? Nebuchadnezzar. Then we had Belshazzar. Then we had, anybody know? Oh, Lord, it just left me. Xerxes, Artaxerxes, Darius, oh, Cyrus. But during all of this, God had already spoken If you repent, you won't be exiled. If you don't repent, you will be exiled. And even if, and you will be exiled because you won't repent, you're only going to be exiled for 70 years because once again, just like I delivered you out of slavery in Egypt, I am going to cause the king then of Persia, I'm going to cause his heart to turn back towards you and he's going to allow you to come back into the promised land. He's going to allow you to come back to Judah and to Israel, right? And God's telling them all this. You won't repent. And because you won't repent, you're going to be exiled. And even though you're exiled, I'm going to come rescue you again. Come on, somebody say, we got a good God. Man, he is slow to anger. He is rich in unfailing love. His loving kindness is better than life. Aren't you glad he's better than you are? Oh, I'm so glad that he is gooder than good. And even when I'm not good, he is good. And he had promised He promised, and then it happens. They're in Babylon, which becomes Persia, for about 70 years. And then King Cyrus's heart turns, and he says, I'm going to let you go back to Judah. Not only am I going to let you go back to Judah, I'm going to give you all that, let's just say, money and help you need to rebuild the kingdom and to rebuild the temple. God fulfilled his promises. And then we get Zechariah. Zechariah was a prophet of many prophets, right? There were many prophets that led up to the exile, like Isaiah and Jeremiah. And then we had prophets that were exiles themselves, like Ezekiel, Daniel, right? But Zechariah was around at the end of the exile when Israel was going to get to come back home. And guess what Zechariah talked the most about His book isn't one of the longest books of the prophets, but it is one of the books that talks about a future rescue that would be greater than Egypt and greater than the rescue from the exile. Come on, somebody say this morning, the king was coming. And Zechariah told us all about the coming of the real true savior. And he told us about him almost 600 years before he came. Is that amazing or what? 
From the very beginning in Genesis, Genesis begins to talk about Jesus. Well, we don't know who he is yet, but we know he's coming. And all through the Exodus and Leviticus and all the law and all the prophets and all of that. And, and all the prophets talk about the coming of one that they began to call the anointed one, the Messiah, or what we call in, in our modern language, right? From Greek, the Christ. And Zechariah, his whole book is, sim- is a symbolic foreshadow of the future rescue of all sinners who have gone away from God. It happened at the time when God was about to and was at the time rescuing his people from exile. But it was all just a symbol of what was going to happen about 600 years later. You want to read what Zechariah wrote? Man, I read this and I about jump up out of my chair because it's like this was written 600 years before Jesus almost. You ready to get excited? Is anybody ready to see Jesus before Jesus came? Zechariah, we're going to read a lot of scripture today and I'm going to go pretty quickly with it because I want you to see Jesus today. Let's go first to Zechariah chapter 3 verses 8 and 9. Listen to me, oh Jeshua. Oh who? Doesn't that sound familiar? At the time of Zechariah, the name of the high priest happened to be Jeshua. Can anybody say Jeshua? Jeshua. How about Yeshua? Uh Uh-oh. Jeshua the high priest and all you other priests, you are symbols of things to come. Soon I'm going to bring my servant the branch. Now look at the jewel I've set before Jeshua. A single stone with seven facets. Come on, everybody say perfect. I will engrave an inscription on it. Says the Lord of Heaven's armies, and I will remove the sins of this land in a single day. Uh-oh. Zechariah 6, 12 and 13. Tell him. Tell who? Talking about Jeshua still. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Here's the man called the branch. Notice that it's capitalized. Who is he? Who is he talking about already? He will branch out from where he is and build the temple of the Lord. Yes, he'll build the temple of the Lord. Then he will receive royal honor and will rule as king from his throne. Everybody say king. King. He will also serve as priest from his throne. Was that normal? King and priest? Uh Uh-uh, that wasn't normal. And there will be perfect harmony between his two roles. Now let me explain this a little bit. This was a very unusual combination of roles. Why? Because the king represented authority and judgment. The king was in charge. The king was the law, right? But a priest represented Sacrifice for sin, compassion, mercy, forgiveness. And it says here that this one that was coming called the branch who would spread out and build the temple that we know is the house of God, right? That there would be perfect harmony and he would have both roles at the same time. He would be both king and priest. Now this is in your outline if you want to follow along. But this was an unusual combination. This one that was coming, this king that was coming would represent both the authority of God. 
but also would represent a relationship with God. Come on, somebody. Not, you can't just, not everybody can have a relationship with the king, right? Now, we don't live in a quote-unquote kingdom today, but doesn't everybody know the president now, do we? Right? Or do you just call him up on the phone and talk to him? No. Even more, this was not a democracy. This was a kingdom. He was the king, right? Absolute, total authority, right? But at the same time, he was going to be a priest. King and priest, law and mercy, judgment and compassion. The coming king, are you ready? Would be both Lord and Savior at the same time. Both Lord and Savior. Because let me just make this clear. To know Jesus, you've got to know him as both Lord and Savior. Come on, I want everybody's attention on this one. He can only save you because he's the Lord. There is no such thing as I believe in Jesus as my Savior, but I've never submitted to him as my Lord. The only reason he can even save you, the only reason he actually has the authority to to save you is because he's the Lord. He's the king. In this one, again, we're already talking about Jesus, but Zechariah was talking about the one who would come as both and that he would sit on the throne as king, as absolute and total authority. But in that position in place of absolute and total authority, he would be able to provide absolute and total mercy. Come on, say Lord and Savior. Let's keep on going. Zechariah 9, 9 through 11. Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he's humble. Riding on a donkey. Riding on a donkey's colt. I'll remove the battle chariots from Israel and the war horses from Jerusalem. I'll destroy all the weapons used in battle and your king will bring peace to the nations. His realm will stretch from sea to sea, from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. Because of the covenant I made with you, sealed with blood, I will free your prisoners from death in a waterless dungeon. Come on, somebody. Are you seeing Jesus yet? Now... We celebrated this last Sunday, so I decided we should read it because it's the fulfillment of Zechariah 9. Look at at John 12. This was fulfilled on Palm Sunday, right? The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city, and a large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches in their hands, went down the road to meet him, and they shouted, Praise God! Blessings on the one, or the king, other gospels say, who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the king of Israel! And Jesus found a young donkey (laughs) and rode on it. Fulfilling the prophecy, he says, Don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming. Riding on a donkey's colt. (sighs) Come on, somebody say, here comes the king. As we read it here, we see the fulfillment of what Zechariah was talking about. Your king is coming. And when he comes, he's not going to just be awesome and amazing and righteous and perfect. He's going to be humble. So humble, he's going to ride on a little young donkey. 
He's not going to come into town, you know, like with this big procession on the king's horses and dressed in the royal robes. No, he's going to come in riding on a little burrito, right? On a donkey. Burritos aren't just things you eat, okay? That means little donkey. Here comes the king, but first, but first, we had to have Good Friday. Jesus knew that even as he was coming into Jerusalem and they were shouting, hell, all hell, King Jesus. Like, well, they didn't see King Jesus, but all hell to the king of Israel. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, right? He knew that in order to function not only as the king, but as the priest who could provide the sacrifice, who could bring the sacrifice that would atone for our sins, that would bring forgiveness, he knew that he had to go through the fulfillment of the plan of the cross of Calvary. And that's what happened. We know, even as we observed on Friday, right? Something that in our hearts we should observe every day. The king of all kings... The God of all creation had come to us to bring us perfect rescue. He'd come to deliver us out of darkness and bondage to sin. He was the king. But in order to provide forgiveness for those of us, all of us, who had turned our backs on and rebelled against an almighty and holy God, he knew that no sacrifice of any animal That nothing that we could ever do could ever attain or earn pardon. Nothing we could do would ever cancel the debt. So God himself decided to come as one of us so he could become our perfect sacrifice. And Jesus was beaten, stripped, crown of thorns on his head, beaten into his brow. Blood from his brow, blood from his hands, blood from his feet, crucified like a criminal, tortured like a criminal with the worst of worst torture. And then he hung there on the cross between, I was reading it this week, and it just says, he was crucified with two other criminals. He was just treated like trash, just like any other criminal in our place. And when he went there, he didn't go there for his sin. He went there for mine. He went to pay the price for your sin. He went so that you don't have to live any longer under the bondage of sin. He went to take it upon himself. And we know that Jesus became the perfect sacrifice for sin. Look at Zechariah 12.10. Then I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer. On the family of David and on the people of Jerusalem. They will look on me whom they have pierced. And mourn for him as for an only son. They will grieve bitterly as for a firstborn son. Who has died 587 years. Actually more like 600 and some odd years. Because now we're at the crucifixion. And exactly what Zechariah said would happen was happening. They were looking on the one they had pierced. John 19. It was the day of preparation and Jewish leaders didn't want the bodies hanging there the next day, which was the Sabbath and a very special Sabbath because it was Passover week. 
So they asked Pilate to hasten their deaths by ordering that their legs be broken and then their bodies could be taken down So, because that's what they would do if, if, if they had crucified criminals and they wouldn't die quickly enough and they needed to get rid of them. They would just break their legs so that they would suffocate on the cross, right? And so that's what they were about to do. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the two men crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. Because if you read, he had already said, it is finished. He had provided his life, his blood, the perfect and only acceptable sacrifice, the son of God. And it says he breathed his last, he, had, he gave up his own spirit. He gave up his own life. And they realized he was already dead, so they didn't break his legs. And one of the soldiers, however, pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water flowed out. And this report is coming, this report is from an eyewitness in, uh, giving an accurate account. He speaks the truth so that you also may continue to believe. These things happen in fulfillment of the scripture that said, none of his bones will be broken and they will look on the one they've pierced. Zechariah 13.1 says, on that day, a fountain will be opened for the dynasty of David and for the people of Jerusalem, a fountain to cleanse them from all their sins and impurity. What a promise. I could break out in song right now. No other fount I know. Nothing. Only the blood of Jesus, the perfect sacrifice for sin. See, nothing but the blood of Jesus can cleanse us. Nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ, the perfect Messiah, crucified and sacrificed for us in our place. Come on, we got to remember when we say he died for us, it doesn't just mean he died for us. He died for us, as in, in my place. He paid the price I had to pay and he paid it for me instead he provided his own life to receive the punishment that I should have received he died for me and when he shed his blood for me the price was paid Colossians 1 15 through 22 Christ is the visible image of the invisible God oh man I love that and God had revealed himself through all creation and through all history. But he said, I'm going to reveal myself perfectly and completely. I'm going to come like one of them so they can see me with their eyes. And Jesus was that. The visible image of the invisible God. If you ever want to know what God looks like or what God acts like or how God talks, look at Jesus and you're looking directly at God. He's the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. Did you know the things you can't see that are just as real as the things you can see? Such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Come on, the spiritual world is real, y'all. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Come on, if he wasn't holding this whole thing together, it would just... Sometimes it feels like it is, right? The world is 
blowing itself apart. But God's mercy is holding us all still together still. I lost my place in scripture because I really like that part. Can it help me find me where I am? Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He's the beginning, supreme over all who, over all, over all, all who rise from the dead. You want to rise from the dead? Good. You can forever with him. He's supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. Good grief. The fullness. Everything that God is was inside of and coming out of Jesus. And through him God reconciled everything. Everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven. And on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. Are you glad that it includes you? I'm so glad that it includes me. You were his enemies. Come on, you got to see yourself in this scripture. You were his enemies. I was his enemy. Separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now, he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. And as a result, he has brought you into his own presence. And now, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Oh, the precious blood. But as we celebrated all morning already, we know that it didn't end there, right? The thing that is, I've said a lot of things blow my mind today already, but this one blows my mind even more. In the Old Testament, the sacrifices of the animals could only cover sin, but it couldn't get rid of it because it was imperfect. It was an imperfect sacrifice. It was an imperfect payment. It was, an, it was imperfect judgment. It was an imperfect price. Bible says that it could only cover our consciences and make us sort of acceptable enough to kind of come in God's presence and worship. But it, it was unable to restore our spirit back into relationship with God. But when Jesus went to the cross, he provided the perfect sacrifice to completely wash away sin. And then on the third day, he proved That not only had he forgiven sin, but he won the victory over sin by rising from the dead. Why? Because the wages of sin is death and Jesus went and conquered death. We're not only forgiven of sin, but through the cross and the resurrection, we are free from the authority of sin. You no longer have to live your life as a poor, bound up, addicted Sinner, you can become like we just read in Colossians, washed in the blood, set free, a saint, holy, blameless in his sight without spot. I read this morning in Luke 24, Jesus is dead and Saturdays happen and 
They saw him crucified. They saw where they laid his body. They saw the big stone that they rolled in front of the tomb. And the ladies go out because they had prepared the ointment and the incense and all that stuff that they used to prepare the body for burial. And then all of a sudden, there are two angels there. Well, first of all, Jesus sitting there. Hello. And then there are two. It says there were dazzling angels. And they said, I don't know how they said it, but I can just imagine like this. Why are you looking for someone who is alive in a cemetery? Where, where's, where if they put his body in? Why would a person that's alive be inside of a tomb like they were dead? He is risen just like he told you he would. Now, He's not only risen that day, he's alive forevermore. And this is one of your final things there in your outline. The resurrection confirmed Jesus is king of all kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the champion of champions. He defeated the one thing we could never defeat. He defeated the enemy of sin for us. And he rose so that we could live as victorious over the power of sin. Romans 1, 2 through 4 says, God promised this good news long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. You think? Not only Zechariah, but all the prophets. Read them. He promised this good news long ago. The good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line. And he was shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Come on, can somebody give him some praise this morning? The resurrection. The resurrection confirmed and proved that he is not only the Savior, he's the King of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. And let me tell you something, he is coming back. <laughs> a few days later, actually a few weeks later, well, there's some discrepancy there, but he told him, I'm going to ascend, and he ascends into heaven, right? And you read it at the end of Luke and the beginning of Acts, and he tells him, just like you see me go, you're going to see me come. And just as Jesus ascended in back into eternity, he will come from eternity as King of kings and Lord of lords to rule and reign forever and ever. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Jesus Christ. He is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Is he your king today? Is he your savior today? If you give your life to Jesus, if you surrender your life to Jesus as your Lord, you are saved. For everyone, I find it interesting. The Bible doesn't say everyone who calls on the name of the Savior will be saved. The Bible says everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Because he's the king, because he's the Lord, we can be saved if he is our king and our Lord. Now, just to finalize this. Again, these are a few things there in your outline. But there are certain things only a king can do, right? Right? There are certain things only a king can do. Again, to a much lesser form of government than a kingdom, which now we have a democracy, right? But there are actually certain things only the president can do, right? There's, certain, there's, a, there's a level of authority needed for certain things, right? 
Now, because Jesus Christ is king, that now makes some things possible. Are y'all with me? You know, history is full of good kings and bad kings and some mediocre ones too. But when good kings reigned, good things happened, right? Good things happen. And when bad kings and bad presidents and bad dictators reign, what happens? Bad things. I'm so glad that Jesus is the king because it's because he's the king that there's some really good things that we now have. Because there's only certain, there's certain things only a king can do. I think this is in your outline. It's a matter of authority. It's a matter of authority. And today, because Jesus Christ is king, there are three things that he has provided as the king. Number one, there is pardon. Number two, there is power. And number three, there is purpose. Pardon, power, and purpose are now all available because Jesus is the king. Number one, there is pardon. What is a pardon? We still practice pardon in the United States. Actually, the president, again, not a king, but in the highest position in authority, can actually pardon a person who's paying a, a, a jail time or whatever, a sentence, and can say, you know what? Canceled, you're free to go. Imagine. See, that's a very feeble version of this because we're not talking about the president. We're not even talking about Julius Caesar. <laughs> We're not talking about some great king. We're talking about the king over all humanity, over all creation, the one, the very one who created us for him. What he does and what he provides is for everybody. And because he's the king now, pardon is available for everyone. What is pardon? Pardon is simply a canceled debt. It's a canceled debt. Does anybody besides me have some debt up there? <sighs> Is anybody besides me glad today that when Jesus came and went to the cross, he provided the way to cancel the debt? If I was sitting on death row, he came in and said, guess what? You can go and I'll stay. I'll go in your place. And he went in our place and now there is pardon. I like the word pardon more than forgiveness because it's more powerful. Come on, say, can you say remission? Remission or pardon means there was a debt there and you had to pay for it. And all of a sudden, boom, it's wiped out. You're debt free. Is that, that's forgiveness, but that's like more than forgiveness. We are pardoned because Jesus is king. And I just want to tell you today, he wants to pardon you. But you must embrace the cross to receive that pardon. Pardon is available for everyone, but not received by everyone. If I'm sitting on death row and someone says, you can go and I'll stay. And I say, no, thank you very much. Or no, get out of my face, which. I'm fine. I can take care of this myself. He wants to pardon everyone. He wants to wash your sins. The Bible says if they're as red as scarlet, he'll wash them as white as snow. 
He'll take them and he'll put them and bury them at the bottom of the sea. He will choose to remember our sins no more. That is pardon and it is available. But you must embrace the cross of Jesus if you want to receive that pardon. It's as simple as saying, I surrender to the king who died on the cross in my place. You've got to receive it. Number two, there is power because Jesus is the king. There is a special power. John 14, 12, and 13, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works as I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I'll do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Luke 10, 19, look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. Do we got any disciples of Jesus out there this morning? Has anybody put all of your faith and all of your hope and all of your trust in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Have you received Jesus Christ as Lord? Has he saved you? If he hasn't, today is your day. But let me tell you, if you are following Jesus, you're not just a follower. Now you're an ambassador. You're not just saved by his name. You carry his name. And because you carry his name, you carry his authority. And now, because he has authority as king, we as his ambassadors now have the power to advance his kingdom, to do his work, and to defeat his enemy. We, today we don't have power because we're great. We can't advance the kingdom of God because we're anything. We can't do the works of Jesus because we're anything. I don't have any power to heal a sick person. I can't defeat the enemy on my own. But because Jesus is king and he's my king, I possess the authority and the power to advance his kingdom, to do his works, and to defeat his enemy. I represent him and you represent him in the world. Come on, somebody say, there's power. And finally, there is purpose. Because Jesus is king, there is purpose. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. (laughs) Come on, somebody. That was like Jesus pulling out his badge. Are y'all with me? He didn't just come and say these words. He prefaced it by saying, remember who I am? I'm not about to just tell you something I, I, I suggest you Might want to listen to. No, 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 no. All authority in heaven and on earth, which happens to be everything, right? I am the highest supreme authority in all the universe. I think it was kind of a, listen up, boys. (laughs) What I'm about to tell you is not a suggestion. I have been given all authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, go. Come on, somebody say go. And make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, as former lawbreakers, unless there's any perfect ones out there. Man, I know was I a lawbreaker and sometimes still do. Not purposefully anymore, but it still happens. But I'm pardoned. (laughs) And I have power. And as a former 
pardoned lawbreaker who has been given his power. Now I also, because I've been pardoned by the king, now I possess the greatest purpose in the universe. And you possess the greatest purpose in the universe. What's my purpose? Why was I born on earth? There are a lot of things you may do and accomplish with your life. But let me tell you, the number one purpose, your purpose on the earth. If you have been washed in the blood of Jesus, if Jesus is your king, do you know what your number one purpose on earth is? To help others know the king. You now represent him. And your greatest purpose is to do just that. To introduce others to him. Go and make disciples. That's for everyone who has received Jesus as king. We are here to help others know the king. I'm going to ask the worship team to go ahead and come on back up as we take a look one more time at Zechariah. Zechariah 14 verse 9. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. Come on, everybody, just pay attention to this. On that day, there will be one Lord, and his name alone will be worshipped. Revelation 19 says this, there, Then I saw heaven open, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And a name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood. And his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses and from his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations he'll rule them with an iron rod he'll release the fierce wrath of God the almighty like juice flowing from a wine press and on his robe at his thigh was written this title King of all kings and Lord of all lords. All hail King Jesus today. We worship you King of kings and Lord of lords. Absolute, total king yet perfect, compassionate Savior. Could we stand to our feet this morning?